It's said the change is the only constant, but South Dakota is stuck, continually revisiting concerns that really aren't that concerning to most people in our state, while real needs remain unmet. Our smartest and brightest leaving for greener pastures. We can change that. Welcome to Change Agents and the Power of We. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Power of We. My name is Rick Noby. The Power of We is one of the efforts of the uh, group Change Agents of South Dakota to communicate with folks uh, not just uh, uh, face-to-face but uh, through the wizardry of electronics and this podcast. And we thank you very much for listening to us today. We're going to do a little follow-up, an event that happened on Saturday, December 2nd. It was called the Community Conversation on Climate Change and Sustainability. And uh, we have uh, three guests with us today. Uh, first of all, we have Craig Brown, uh, who is a part of Change Agents of South Dakota and uh, numerous other efforts, political and non-political. Uh, Craig, hello and welcome. Hello. Good to be here. Nice to have you with us. Linda Stensland, whose name is probably familiar to some of you, she served in the South Dakota legislature back when there weren't many women in the South Dakota legislature, and she's also one of the people that uh, started leading the state towards paying attention to the environment long before that was fashionable. Linda, nice to have you here. Nice to be here, Rick. Thank you. Thank you. And then, of course, uh, the man uh, running just about everything here uh, electronically is John Fixtall. Uh, we are in the studios of Media One today doing this recording. Uh, Mr. Fixtall is well known to many folks who have been around successful projects that required media assistance. John, hello and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Rick. Appreciate Linda, it. Linda, I'm going to start with you because I know you were in the audience uh, the day of December 2nd when we had the event on climate change and sustainability. Um, I know you've been around this stuff for a long time uh, and have probably far more expertise than most of the people that were in the room that day, but interested in your reaction uh, to what you heard, uh, what you observed, uh, and any takeaways that you had from that event. Well, first of all, I was very excited to see all the people. Um, I think John has probably better numbers than I have, but I figured there were at least 200 people there uh, in my day. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there because I've since looked at the Mentimeter stuff, and the responses on one of them were 243. So I think there were between 250 and 300 people at the event. The, the group put out – the. SODAC 350 group put out 158 participants. I rounded it out at about 200 because I figured there was a lot of people in the room that didn't register, you know, the various people running the booths and that's, stuff like that. That's more than likely. Yeah, so that's that's where I came from, about 200, and I'm comfortable with that number. Well, if you've got 243 people signed into the Mentimeter system, those are separate phones, each one. So. Okay, okay. All right, that's fine with me. So, you know, almost 250, go for it. That's great. Yeah. And that was exciting to see so many people actually interested and involved in in sustainability and climate. Um, so that was, that was a really positive thing for me. I thought the speakers were extremely uh, good, and I really enjoyed the architect talking about buildings that that were more environmentally conscious and 
what that savings was to the people that rented those spaces. Stacy McMahon is was the architect with Coke Hazard. And yes. Yeah, she made a good presentation. Yes, I she agree. did a very good presentation. How did the table topic conversations go? You were obviously part of that. Uh, every table had conversations. How did yours go? We had we had um, we had very positive uh, conversations, and one of the people at our table is a student at Augie, and he's in a student in environmental sciences. So he brought a, a real technical expertise to the table. But we had very positive. People are concerned. Um, someone that day talked about radical hope, and I really like that because radical hope is the difference between the climate deniers or the people that are terrified and then the people who think that solutions can be accomplished. And so that's the idea of radical hope. And I, I thought that was I thought that was exciting. Craig, Craig Brown was involved in helping put this uh, event together. He also was the roving microphone when it came time for people to uh, ask questions of the speakers and make general comments. So he was roaming the room, as it were, that day. Craig, um, what impressions did you get from what you saw and heard? Well, I think I think first and foremost, it's so important to take note that people showed up. Um, you know, as you as you mentioned, I'm kind of a veteran of a lot of different causes. You know, the first time I was arrested was in Sioux Falls during the Vietnam War protests, just to you know put you in the wayback machine there. But you know, I it, you know all my life, I've been willing to hit the streets, so to speak, over causes, and um, I it led me to a deeply held belief that it's just important to show up as a citizen of this community, of this world, and make your presence known. So you think about, okay, it's a cold December morning. It's early for some people, you know, 9 o'clock, 9.30. And 200 people got up and went down in, you know, what I have to term is a bit of a mystery. They didn't know what they were going to hear. They didn't know what they were going to discuss. But they showed up, and they were willing to engage in the conversations. You know, I moved from table to table, as you mentioned, and I never found a single table the whole morning that was off topic. They weren't chit-chatting about other stuff or the price of groceries or anything else. They were there to talk about climate change and how it impacted how it impacted them, and by gosh, they did that. What were, and I realize I'm not expecting to remember every discussion you heard, but do you have a, some of the topics that came up? Because every table was free to talk about basically whatever they wanted to, yeah. uh, as long as it were related to climate and sustainability. What's some of the stuff that you recall hearing? Well, the one that stuck out for me, you know, was a real takeaway, was the, the gentleman who was obviously involved in the trades, and, you know, had asked the question about code and, you know, that's, that's something, building codes, building I should, codes, I should yeah. add. And, and so that was 
that stuck out to me because, you know, he was he understood that we needed to update building codes. And he was in a vigorous conversation with people going back and forth about what this meant for his business. And it was a little unclear to me exactly what that was, which trade he was involved in. But, you know, there was a vigorous discussion between him and three other gentlemen at his table going back and forth about what that would mean, the updating of the codes. And that's the one that really... Um, hung with me. When I, one of the things I remember hearing when the architect Stacy talked about the fact that the building codes for the city of Sioux Falls, there's different sections, different chapters. Right. The, the chapter on energy and conservation mm-hmm. is a 2009 version. That's right. and, and there are versions up to and including, I think, 2021. And so our energy and conservation codes, which is all part of this climate and sustainability thing, are way behind the technology that's available today. And that yeah. really surprised me. And it, what I, from some of the publicity that's, that's come out over the summer out of City Hall and, and other places, is that the, the leadership at City Hall does not seem the least bit interested in updating those codes. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's, you know, we're, you know, we're going to talk in the future about what citizens can and should be doing. I think that's a great place to start. The citizens of Sioux Falls deserve to have an answer of, you know, what is the process by which we do update these codes and why are we behind other cities in the area? What's really frustrating is that all around us, cities have updated their codes. Bismarck, North Dakota, Omaha, Nebraska, Rochester, Minnesota, Madison, Wisconsin, Fort Collins, uh, Colorado, Missouri, Montana, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Fargo. Fargo. They're all doing it and we're sitting here with 2009 building codes doesn't make sense especially when you realize that if those codes were updated it is to the benefit of those who inhabit those dwellings it might cost a little bit up front but the fact of the matter is that uh, extra is retired in a very short period of time to the benefit of whoever inhabits those uh, dwellings. Yeah, one of the presentations was by uh, was, uh, Joan Franken, and she was with Costello Companies, and they are builders of basically um, Blue Star, Green Star kinds of dwelling units, apartment buildings, and they built one of the first sustainable-slash-affordable uh, apartment complexes in Sioux Falls, and she showed a chart about a one-bedroom apartment constructed this way and then the one-bedroom apartment that they built. And the, the cost per month on utilities was, was like, a, I think, was close to a 20% difference, as, At least. as I recall. And, and, of course, they've got one-bedroom, two-bedroom, three-bedrooms, and I don't remember all the numbers. But each one of them had a substantial difference in the opera for what you and I would call the operational costs or the living costs uh, for the tenants, and that just that really surprised me. I I heard there were savings, but to actually see it, somebody who actually does this for a living, which that was pretty profound for me. And and looking at those savings points to the importance and the benefit and why we should be embracing sustainability because it's going to save all of those people money in their rents, 
and and you know we're just ignoring that John, I want to go back to the first question that I asked. Uh, uh, John Fixtall was in the room. He w- he was handling a lot of the technical stuff, for the the screens and and the recordings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, and you've put on a lot of events like this in in your career. What was your takeaway overall from that particular day? Uh, interested in just hearing from you on that. Well, I'd be uh, uh, I'd <clears throat> ask anyone who's uh, listening right now to decide who you think would show up to an event like this. And I mean, you think, you think it lean left probably, uh, you know, certainly uh, those on the right side of the political spectrum would eschew such an event. Uh, but the fact, what really impressed me was the broad spectrum of people who showed up to be in this thing. This is not a liberal or conservative issue. This is an existential issue. It's about whether or not we continue <laughs> to exist. And I, 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 for instance, can quote one prominent, uh, and I'd have to say leans very conservative uh, Sioux Falls citizen, businesswoman, uh, whose name many people I know would know and recognize, who uh, in conversation with me stated, well, you know, I was a little worried about coming here because I was afraid I was going to hear all this whacked out liberal claptrap. And the fact of the matter was the discussion was direct. It was fact-based, evidence-based, to the point, drove right down the middle of everyone's concerns. And it was uh, a very broad range of of Sioux Falls constituents that showed up to express their concern that we in our city are not doing what we can and should be doing to address this issue together. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. The the since that, that event was on December second, where we're past that a little bit, the international. COP28, I think it was called, environmental thing, was held in Dubai. Something like 70,000 people uh, were uh, attended that. And one of the things that they were struggling with apparently was fossil fuels because the person who was running the event, of course, is one of the princes of the fossil fuel industry, literally and figuratively. And so he had put out some statements which were a little bit. And my understanding is they adjourned and they did come up with some statement, although I haven't read it yet, that deals with the eventual uh, decrease of reliance on fossil fuels. And I never thought that would ever happen. You know, that's a big deal to me. Well, I mean, given that you know, uh, climate change is going to impact the lives of every single person on the face of the planet. Um, you know, even those people who are intricately involved in the production of fossil fuels um, have to know that, you know, this is going to impact their kids, their grandkids. The inconvenient truth is is just that. You're going to quote Al Gore? Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean— You know, I mean, I realize that, you know, that people roll their eyes or slap their foreheads at the mention of Al Gore because, you know, he was one of the early, what, the canary in the coal mine at the end of the last century talking about this. But in truth, nothing has changed. And and if you'll, you know, and and I recently watched a video with, with Gore and, you know, and he reminded us that 
in spite of the efforts of ordinary citizens to, you know, to avoid unnecessary trips, to recycle paper and everything else, in truth, you know, that's not going to make much difference. And Bill Nye said the same thing the other night on CNN. Those kinds of things are not going to make much difference. We've got to tackle the big questions around the production of fossil fuel, the the exploration for it, how we get it out of the ground. It's never going to go away in our lifetime, of course, but how we get it out of the ground, how we produce it, how we produce cement and concrete, all of those are vital questions that could have a significant impact on our world. One of the things that, that was interesting to me and just focusing on one of the speakers uh, was Laura Edwards, who's the state climatologist. And she had puts up some charts and graphs and stuff and showed the trends over the last several years and what they're forecasting for the future. And there were, there were two things that she said that caused me to go, ah, well, that's nice. First of all, our winters aren't going to be quite as brutally cold. Uh, and that was one thing I got out of it. And the second thing that she mentioned was that, according to what they're looking at, the growing season is going to be a little bit longer. Okay, so you listen to that and you soak that up and you say, okay, geez, that, well, that's not it's so, not bad. so what, bad. What's everybody worried about? But what she didn't focus on, and it's not her, it's not her field of expertise necessarily, was the day-to-day weather events. Mm-hmm. And the day-to-day weather events, all you have to do is watch the news and watch the severity of, of hurricanes, the frequency and severity of tornadoes, the rainstorms that have inundated places that have never been inundated before, the droughts that have decimated all kinds of things. And so there's climate, which is the big long-term stuff, but then there's the individual events that have gotten more severe and will continue to be more severe. And I, I thought back, was it last year, the year before we had I think two derechos come through within a very short period of time, those gigantic windstorms that killed a couple of people and did all kinds of damage, primarily to trees, but also structural damage. And so as, as, as you look at the charts and talks about climate around here, it doesn't look so bad. But the day-to-day weather stuff is, is going to be I think we're going to have more derechos. We'll probably experience more tornadoes, more floods. And for the people that grow crops for a living in certain parts of the state, the droughts are going to be more severe and, and longer. The, and the my takeaway from Laura Edwards was more bugs because— Yes, the winter over. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was, that's right. That yeah, was another more t- bugs, and yeah. I'm not a be- fan of bugs. Well, the, the other—and and the other part of that was um, you know, our— I, I'm not sure what the term is, and maybe you guys can help me with this, but the um, we're climate zones, and we were like in a zone four or something like that, and now we're in a different zone because of the climate change. And so plants that used to thrive here maybe won't thrive here, and some of the birds that used to be here and thrive here, they may not be here anymore because the weather the climate has changed enough that they will seek other places to go, and probably the same thing with with uh, animals. And and as you point out, Craig, bugs. We could find all kinds of new creatures floating through the atmosphere that weren't here before. Well, the point point I'd like to make is that there always seems to be a debate as to whether or not we're doing this. Or uh, the other question is: Wait a minute, this is just another one of nature's broad swings. Well, 
Facts are stubborn things, and we've got a lot of facts, and we've got facts uh, that go back 800,000 years. We can, we're able to see what the weather patterns were then and what is going on right now, particularly uh, in terms of uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, is truly, truly bizarre. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Whose fault it is? This is the wrong question. It doesn't matter. Uh, what what does matter is that we recognize those ac- acts that we take as humankind uh, in our day-to-day and month-to-month and year-to-year behaviors that contribute to this problem and to mitigate and to just stop doing it. Uh, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It doesn't matter if this is humankind or not. The facts are these, and these are facts. They're not suppositions. It's getting warmer. The glaciers are melting, chipping off, breaking away. These countries, and I saw an interview with uh, some of those uh, countries like uh, uh, in the South Pacific, these small little islands, they're going to be gone, folks. I mean, these, their, their land is going to disappear. Uh, so what steps we're taking uh, depend upon the things that we are doing that contribute to the problem, and we have to stop it. <laughs> and, and I would love to just stop right here because that's, that's a perfect place to stop. But I, let's let's take a moment. I want to go back to something that Craig said and I think was part of the basic conversation about, you know, this individual actions are, are important, but the big picture stuff like fossil fuels and, and, you know, how we generate energy and wind farms and solar and alternative energy sources, those are bigger than individual decisions. But I come back to the, you know, everything that's local. And so every decision that you and I make on a daily basis on what, how much are we contributing to the problem? And, you know, I've, I've talked about, I don't drive my car two days a week and now I'm driving a hybrid and I'm still not driving two days a week. And I'm, you know, my thermostat said at 67 and I, and I don't take the elevator. I, I take the stairs and I don't use plastic bags anymore and stuff like that. And, and, on the giant scheme of things, Craig, as you pointed out, that isn't going to move the ship much no. <laughs> at all. But if 50,000 of us in Sioux Falls do something with their thermostat, yeah. decide not to drive their cars a couple of days a week or at least one day a week, that does have an impact. Y- you know, it, it does have an impact. And, and there's there's still more things that we can do as citizens because, you know, the you know this is this statement is going to be an anathema to some, but but you know government does have a part to play in this because it is because it is government that can pass an ordinance to do things like well I mean I I moved back to South Dakota from a community where recycling was mandatory. And I didn't think anything of it. It didn't bother me in the least. I And I didn't talk to any of my neighbors that were bothered by it at all. It was just expected. And yet, you know, we see recycling rates in Sioux Falls um, have gone down in the last couple of years. And that's a, that's a dreadful trend. I mean, we should, we should encourage all of our neighbors to get involved in recycling. 
We also need to encourage the city to make sure that we have an effective recycling program so that all the recyclables are actually going to be recycled and not going to the garbage. Um, Because they pick up the recyclables in garbage trucks. And, And in where I come from, from Maryland, they have recycling trucks that pick up the recyclables. And they encourage people, your recyclables have to be clean. You don't put the paper in with the cans and the bottles. So there are a whole lot of simple things that we could do, the city could do, to be more effective. Well, you'll be you'll be pleased to know that um, you know I went to the uh, the city sustainability conference. Uh, you know, uh, five days after. Uh, December 2nd, and and the mayor invited anyone who was interested to go out and tour the waste treatment plant and see what the city does with its recycling. So by God, I'm going to take him up on that. Oh, me too. When is it? Um, we're getting it organized. Okay. Um, but maybe if citizens showed more interest in seeing what's happening with those efforts— it it not only holds a little bit of you know visceral accountability for the people involved in that effort, but it puts us in a better position to influence our neighbors to get behind that effort. Well, it's a proven fact that an energized public involved yeah. in public policy creates positive change. Yeah. So that's something that as a person as a person we all have a responsibility to be doing that. Um, well, that's what happened. That's what happened on December 2nd. Uh, and take, take into perspective here. It's, it's easy to vilify somebody at a, different, at, a, at a distance. I don't know our mayor, but I, what I do know are the facts of the, the, the history here. Uh, to reach out uh, to the community, to pull together a group of really dedicated, very smart people who know what they were talking about, people who were there for a reason because of their knowledge and their expertise. And they pulled together this series of uh, recommendations. And they said, this is what the city should do. And the mayor uh, said, okay, let's, uh, let's take a look at that. And some time passed. And uh, it passed. And then some more time passed. And all of a sudden, bingo, uh, the sustainability plan was stripped to the bone, essentially gutted, and actionable goals were removed, and this quote-unquote framework uh, came forward that, uh, I'm going to say it, pissed a lot of people off. Yeah. You know, I mean, the people who had spent hundreds of hours in planning sessions and thinking about this and contributing to these efforts, what happened? How did that happen? Well, it's, it's easy to suppose that politics got in the way. And, you know, who knows which way the mayor thinks he's headed here. I, I, I don't. I certainly don't. But the fact of the matter is that it was uh, politically challenging to present to the community uh, action steps that would have financial ramifications in many different areas across the board. And uh, so what happened? Well, they're not going to drop the ball. They're going to keep it up. And what happened was December 2nd. 
where over 250 people came together out of the woodwork and said, nope, we have to do something. And uh, it was truly refreshing to see them there. It's going to be interesting now. Sodak 350 uh, was kind of the mothership of the coalition. Uh, Dakota Rural Action, uh, a group that I was unfamiliar with, the climate, uh, Citizens Climate Lobby, uh, is a relatively new group in town. And then our group, Change Agents of South Dakota, and then Common Grounds Indivisible were part of the coalition that put this event together. And it's going to be interesting now to see what Sodak 350, again, the mothership, how they move forward. I know they're going to move forward uh, and enthusiastically. The members of the coalition, Sustainability Coalition, are working together, planning for the next event. Uh, they are not going to go away, and they're going to keep talking to you, the citizens of our area, publicly about their plans and their action steps. And we invite you to stay tuned. We on this program, The Power of We, we're going to be talking about that and a whole bunch of other issues that are coming before us. Uh, there's an election coming up in April where public policy people will be elected, and uh, we're going to be involved in conversations on that. So, Linda, thank you very much. You're welcome. John, it's always a pleasure. Enjoy. And Craig, as usual, nice work. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rick. This has been The Power of We, uh, brought to you by Change Agents of South Dakota. I'm Rick Noble. Good afternoon.